our, fir <coughs> our, first, um, our first orientation was the legalistic orientation. What we're wanting to do is apply Paul's method of teaching on sin to these people so that the gospel can be applied to them, so that their hearts are more ready to receive the gospel using Paul's method as our method. How would we, how would we apply the categories of root sins and fruit sins to this brother or sister and then apply the gospel to them? And let me pretend like I'm him, okay? I'm already a Christian. I already believe. What would be the pushback? I gotta get in here. I gotta get in my heart. How are you gonna do it? I keep all of the Ten Commandments. I've mem I memorized them when I was little. I'm Pente. Jesus is my only God. I do, with all of my heart. take up an offering. If you have anything of value, please put it in as it goes by. I'll take the jacket. I'll take the take I'll take everything on your table there. <laughs> I think that's I think now you're moving in the right direction. When you start saying when you start saying uh, going after the heart of have you loved the Lord your God with all your heart. Obviously you need to expound, but I think that's I think that that'd be your pathway. <coughs> In. I'm not saying it's the only one. I'm not Paul. I just think I think you're moving in Paul's method and his direction when you do that, right? So what's the what's my what's my uh, root sin then? Pride. Anything else anybody would add with that one? Yeah. 
I'm pretty calm. <laughs> pretty, pretty calm and I'm pretty confident. <laughs> I'm pretty prideful. <laughs> Good. Anything else? Yes, Sammy. good and 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 uh, my pride how my legalistic pride how are you going to apply the gospel to me now now I'm hearing it I'm seeing it Um, how can you apply the gospel to me All right, anything to add on that? I think most of our legalistic people, they would still say they need Christ, right? But practically, when they're thinking, they're moving past them. How about the second guy? The, what was it? The, um, prosperity gospel oriented person. So this is this is this is the person who assumes salvation. Um, if they've heard sin, they haven't heard much of it. 
They may, they may not be a Christian. They're, they're probably assuming the gospel. Um, but uh, they, they, see, they see God as trying to bless them, and there's things getting in the way. Basically, their greatest need is, is actually God himself saying something. Anybody want to add or take away from that? Or move in a different di- direction? Who wants it? Yes, yes, of course. How might you apply the gospel to such an individual? Sure. And just leave him, leave him hurting. <laughs> we'll leave him, leave him shut up under judgment. <laughs> well done. <laughs> How about the uh, third category? This is this is the. Um, Spiritual warfare oriented person. He's got a big pride that he thinks he's the shiny white knight that needs to fight Satan. When in reality, he's a sinner that needs Christ. Mm. Good. Yes, Mikey? Miguel Sanchez. That's your new name after your Mexican joke last night.
But you guys, let's, let's be really personal now then. Let's, uh, let's just confess what we see our. What, what do, you, do you find in yourself when you, uh, when you look at your own temptations and your own sin patterns? What, uh, what comes to your mind when you, let's make it personal. What, uh, what are some of the root sins we struggle with? What I'm not asking you to do right now is tell us you stole somebody's purse last week on the street and you're selfish. I just want to know how you see this coming to bear on your own self because one of the main purposes of this class is to learn to preach the gospel to ourselves, right? If you're preaching the gospel to yourself, there's something, there's a reason you need the gospel. Why do you need the gospel? What do you see? I see unbelief in me. I see unbelief sprouts up in various ways, but I, I see unbelief. It's the unbelief that God is good, even in the face of the gospel. When I look at suffering, when I look at difficulty, I find my heart running back again and again to this sin of unbelief. What about you? Brian? Pride. in unbelief. Pfeiffer. Self-righteousness. What was the last one? Money. heinous sin in light of the gospel. And yet the gospel and the gospel of Christ washes us clean. He's faithful and we're faithful. Chases and tempts and creeps inside me. So 
see that in myself too. to kill our sin. John Owen says, kill your sin or it will be killing you, right? How do we do that? How do we kill this sin? By looking to Christ. By looking to Jesus. By applying the gospel to these sins. It's the only way, brothers. The only way is through Christ. The only way is through the gospel. On day one, we started with the plight of man and the sinfulness of sin. Um, And then uh, the next day we saw the gospel and the freeness of the gospel, that the gospel is good news, especially in light of the bad news. We saw that God himself is the gospel, right? All three persons of the Trinity um, are engaging us. And then yes, and we, we saw yesterday the freeness of justification, or the day before the freeness of justification. Then yesterday we saw sanctification. Um, and today I thought we would move move forward. So let's just review those briefly. We've seen that the, the sinfulness of sin, that's the, the thing that separates us from God, right? And it's, it's considered as a direct offense to God. And that direct offense to God, it places us in opposition to him. We are considered as rebels. We're considered ones with whom he is angry. And then we have seen that the the gospel is the great remedy. Uh, We saw that God himself is the gospel. All three persons of the Trinity. The Father was engaged. His heart, it started the gospel. Where did it start? The gospel started in the mind of God the Father, right? He, he was the one that was doing the predestining and he was doing it through Christ. So we saw that actually this world, this world was created for the cross. So Christ in the fullness of time, he came down, he became a man, he took our sin. Christ, Christ became the sacrifice on our behalf. And we saw later in time, the Holy Spirit is the one who seals us, he regenerates us, he seals us. He gives us the gift of faith. And he continues to to work in our lives. He's working in us, both at the level of our will and our work. What he starts, he's going to finish. So we saw that God is the gospel. And we saw that when we believe, we're freely justified, 100% and completely and only by his grace. That is, we're declared right. We're declared right in the eyes of God as though we've never sinned. So we can say the gospel is God's greatest remedy, the great remedy to our greatest problem. So our greatest problem, in effect, is solved. 
right? Our greatest problem is solved when we trust in Christ for salvation. We are restored. The, 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 the broken and torn relationship has been restored. We saw that this is a one-time irreversible event. Justification can't be reversed, right? You don't become more or less justified. You don't become justified one day only to lose your justification and win it back. Justification is a one-time event. And then yesterday we spent a significant amount of time looking at the category of sanctification. Sanctification. Justification is our is, our, is, is when our great problem is solved. It's a one-time event, but sanctification as compared with justification is not a one-time event. We find that we still have indwelling sin. Nevertheless, we continue to look to Christ as revealed in the gospel as the means of growing in conformity to Christ. We actually go to Christ. We go to Christ in our sanctification. And we saw that this growth, this conformity to Christ, this is going to be a lifetime struggle, right? A, a, a lifelong practice. This struggle is going to take us all the way to final breath. And now as we conclude our time together, as we conclude our lectures, we have one last consideration of the gospel. That is how Christ relates to us with our indwelling sin glorification. How does Christ relate to us? How does the gospel impact us? How is the gospel the center, even in our glorification? Our glorification has to do with, with the final day when we stand before the king, the great architect, the creator of heaven and earth. How does Christ, how does the gospel relate to sin. We've seen that sin is our greatest problem. Christ has, has fixed that problem. We, see, we saw how justification relates to that problem. We've seen how sanctification relates to that problem. How does glorification connect with this problem and how does the gospel come to us? In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul writes, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So here we find this marvelous promise, and it should have great implications upon our expectations in this world and upon where we ought to place our confidence. How should it affect our expectations? Here we're reminded once again that we will have imperfections. There's going to be these indwelling perfections until our final breath until the last day. As the text says, the, the day of Jesus Christ, Philippians 1.6, it will be completed on the day of, of Jesus Christ. And so we find that there's going to be imperfections, impurities in us until that final day. That should fix our expectations. That should, expect, that should fix the expectations of our people. Not only in their 20s, not only in their 30s, but even in their 60s and their 70s. When we find old people that are getting grouchy, 
We shouldn't be surprised that they haven't turned into the most perfect and wonderful and beautiful saints, right? Till final breath, they're going to have these imperfections. Does that not fix your expectations and does that not help us when we want to come and pastor people all the way through life? But then we find this great confidence in this text. We have great confidence. There's also hope here in this text. Not only do we look to Jesus for justification, and not only in our sanctification, but our great hope, our great confidence is always and only placed in the person of Jesus, even to the grave, even to final glorification. Brothers, he won't be finished with us until that last day, the day of Jesus Christ. And look who's center stage in that day. Look whose day it is. It's Jesus Christ's day. It's his day. And so we look to him. We look to him now. We look to him in in justification. We look to him in sanctification. And we look to him for that final day as our source of grace. Between now and then, in any and every circumstance, we look to him as our source of grace until we get to that day. Here's what emerges from this text. The fact that God, God is for us. He's for us all the way through this life, my friends. He's for us when our performance is good. for us when our performance is not. As all the other lectures would indicate, in no way does this mean he is for us, for our sin. But we do have to say this, that the one who justifies us will not condemn us. In any situation, Romans 8, 31 through 39 teaches this much. What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against the God's elect? It is God who justifies. If our biggest problem was sin, because sin makes God our biggest problem, what other problem do we have now? Because there's no one less left to condemn. Our greatest problem has been fixed. Who is to con- condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. That means Christ Jesus is the one who was condemned. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us right now as we go through this class. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? As we go through this life, who's going to separate you? What is going to separate you? Shall tribulation or danger or sword, as it is written for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37 says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure of this, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us 
from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So right here in Philippians and in Philippians 1:6, we find He's working in us. And now we find in Romans 8, He's interceding for us. And that's a continual interceding. He didn't start and then stop. It's continuous. We find this in Hebrews 7.25. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near through him since he always lives. He always lives to make intercession for them. Brothers, that means we have a friend. We have an advocate. We have an advocate right now in heaven who's getting things done. We have an advocate in heaven, and it's Christ Jesus our Lord, the same one who spilled his blood for us. Indeed, his substitutionary atonement was finished when he hung his head. But that didn't mean he stopped working for us. He's working for us even now. 1 John 2, 1 says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, he's writing the Christian. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The advocate with the Father, he is also your righteousness. And he's there right now. You're seated in him. He's advocating for you. He is working in us. He is for us. He is interceding on our behalf. And then finally we see that on the last day, this friend, this advocate, Christ Jesus our Lord, according to Colossians 1.22, he will present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. In other words, Jesus Christ will present you as a completed work before God the Father on the last day as blameless and above reproach. What's our responsibility here? What are we being called to do here in this text? We're being called to look to Jesus. To trust in Jesus. That's our responsibility according to Colossians 1.23. To keep our faith in Jesus. To hold on to the hope of the gospel. To look to the gospel. To return to the gospel. To hold on to the gospel. We don't look to ourselves And when our people look to themselves, we point them back to Jesus. It's our great responsibility as ministers, brothers, to point our people back to Jesus. You are not the one who is going to present them blameless on that last day. Their performance is not what's going to present them as blameless before the judge of all the earth on the last day. Our church is not what's going to present them as blameless on the last day. According to Colossians and according to Jude, we find that Christ is going to be the one that presents them as blameless on the last day. It's the very work of the one who started a work in us to finish it, and that's when he finishes it. He finishes it on the last day by presenting us as blameless. According to Jude 24, He will present us blameless before the presence of God's glory with great joy. What started at justification when we first looked to Jesus is to be the pattern of our lives. 
It's not about what we do for him. It's about what he's done for us. It's about what he's doing for us and in us. It's about what he will yet do for us. So we say with Jude, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. It's been a joy to teach you this.